welcome to Counterpunch Radio. My name is Eric Dreitzer. Thanks so much for tuning in. Coming back to the show, first-time listeners finding the show, welcome aboard. Always happy to have you. Hope you've all gone over to Counterpunch Plus, gotten your subscriptions. That's how you can support this project, how you can show your love for independent media. I know that uh, things sometimes seem bleak. By the time you're listening to this, it's probably already been the U.S. election, so it may seem a whole lot bleaker. But uh, in the meantime, remind yourself that one of the ways that we resist is by supporting these spaces that we have on the left for this kind of media. Counterpunch is always, always appreciative of all of your support. Go over to the website. The fun drive has been a blast. It continues to be a blast. It's always a joy to ask for money and to panhandle in the way that we must. But here we are. And so go over to Counterpunch and do that thing. Um, Speaking of independent journalists that we love and support, I am very happy to welcome back one of them, one who we've had here on the show several times. When we talk about Brazil, I always want to talk to Michael Fox. Michael Fox is a wonderful journalist. He's a multimedia journalist. He's the host of an excellent podcast that you all need to subscribe to wherever it is you get your podcast. It's called Brazil on Fire. He's on Twitter at mfox underscore US. Michael Fox, welcome back to Counterpoint. Thanks so much, Eric. Pleasure to be here. So, Mike, I heard some things of uh, pretty uh, large significance have been happening in Brazil. I hear rumors that an election happened. So anyway, tell us the latest. What's going on? Yes. What's going on in Brazil? Pretty big news. Luiz Ignacio Lula da Silva, former president, is now the president-elect. Uh, but by now, most of your listeners already know that, but if they don't, this is like, you know, the, the working class hero, the, the man who, who, who fought the dictatorship at the end of the 1970s, led some of the largest union rallies there that closed out the dictatorship, founded the workers party, uh, ran for the presidency. I can't even know how many times. And finally won in 2003, lifted millions of people out of poverty, left, his second term with an approval rating of uh, 87% in 2010, and then you know had to battle this massive um, anti-corruption scheme in which they said he had um, received a beachside apartment from a company seeking government contracts, uh, which was completely made up. And, uh, and, and, and was jailed for 580 days. And now this is, now he's back. The Supreme Court overturned the decision a while ago and tossed everything out. It was all by a biased judge. And he has just won the presidency. It's just huge. So <clears throat> that's the main thing. Sorry for that long rollout. <laughs> but um, that is Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva. He's the working class hero. Now, he won. He won by uh, 2 million votes, so just under 2%. So it was a very close election. And what we've seen this week, the big concern was, will far-right current President Jair Bolsonaro <clears throat> accept the results? And uh, he he came out and finally spoke. He was silent for 48 hours while his, his people protested and, and blocked roads in the streets. And he finally came out and actually said very little. Uh, but the most important thing was the fact that his... Chief of Staff came on right after he spoke and said, I have been authorized by Bolsonaro to begin the transition to the next government. So that was like the Bolsonaro doesn't want to say he's going to accept the results, but he's doing it. Uh, and I'm here to, to, to you know, say, all right, let's let's get it on. Um, 
and then what we saw yesterday were Bolsonaro's people actually protesting and rallying in front of military barracks, <clears throat> calling on the military to come out and try and overturn the results, try and stop the results. I mean, this is all digs into this whole like evangelical deep connection to um, the dictatorship, deep connection to the military, deep connection to fake news and disinformation, which is what Bolsonaro's entire campaign was about. And the faith that these people have that the military is actually going to come out uh, and overturn, which is just not going to happen. Um, but Bolsonaro supporters, you know, feel that way. Uh, and in fact, what Bolsonaro finally came out today and said, listen, just stop locking the roads, please. It's not good. It's not good for the constitution. It doesn't really help what we're trying to do. So we'll see what happens there. But long story short, uh, Lula will be inaugurated on January 1st. It's still probably going to be a tumultuous couple of months. And that's where we stand. All right. A lot to say about all of that. First of all, um, what exactly does the transition entail here? I mean, we're familiar with what it means in the context of a U.S. presidential administration and the transition from one to the next. I mean, is it something similar to that? Or is there some kind of uh, legal framework upon which uh, they can rely constitutionally? What are the obligations of Bolsonaro? What might Bolsonaro's people do during the transition, what are their options? What can what can they do? These are great questions, and we and we don't really have a, a very clear understanding about where everything <clears throat> lies now. But it's very similar to the United States, the transition. They were supposed to have met uh, a first meeting with Gerald Altman, who is Lula's vice president. He is um, interesting because Lula's whole campaign was about being it was about unity and democracy and about bringing all these different people together and Alpin is actually a Lula's former arch enemy <clears throat> so Lula ran against him in 2006 and won of course but it's interesting that like that this is you know Lula was trying to bring together a coalition of the dem of the democratic of the of the center center left uh, and even in, in Alkman's case, center-right parties and to, to, to try and, you know, defeat Bolsonaro. And that's where he's got. So Alkman was supposed to have met with Bolsonaro's transition team today to begin the process. It's very similar to the United States. You know, I mean, you've got two months. Lula's in, will be inaugurated on, on January 1st. And there's a lot to, there's a lot of things to do between those times in order to, to, to get things up to speed. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's hard to say exactly what what Bolsonaro may or may not try and do in the next little bit. He's already rolled out and been spending funds at a, a breakneck speed uh, he, in order to, to win these elections, funneling funds through what's known as a secret budget, which he himself authorized back in 2019 through Congress, where billions of rice and billions of U.S. dollars would be moved into kind of pet projects for uh, aligned congressmen um, and with, without any understanding about where they were going and whatnot. And Bolsonaro was spending just billions and billions of U.S. dollars in this campaign to, to lower the price of gasoline, to, to give people their, their low-income folks their monthly stipend ahead of time to offer credits and loans to really try and just shore up any sorts of votes for the working class as possible by kind of you know, buying people off as best as possible. Uh, and so he has spent a ton of money. So that'll be a challenge for Lula just going forward. You know, where does that, where does Lula stand with kind of like the amount of money that Bolsonaro has spent? That's not on his ticket, but been spending money taken from other things or taken from next year and stuff. But, um, but that's that's where things 
line. Now, Bolsonaro supporters, speaking about transition in this moment of the next few months, you know, they are, I, I've been, over the last month, I've been in six different states. I've been interviewing hundreds of people and I've spoken with a lot of Bolsonaro supporters and almost everyone I spoke with said, look, you know, we marched on September 7th. Remember, that was Brazil's bicentennial Independence Day and it was an event that Bolsonaro transformed into his like massive campaign rally. And so his people kind of got out en masse that day. And so a lot of people I spoke to said, said look, look, we got into the streets. We know how many people we are. We are obviously the majority. And if we lose, there's a problem uh, with the elections. Like that was their level of like, you know, democratic analysis of like, well, we lose. So that's where they're feeling right now. Well, either something happened or, you know, God, who was supposed to give us the presidency, didn't. So why not? Because that's been... Bolsonaro's whole campaign has been run on this faith, 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 holy war, good versus evil messaging. Um, so it is very likely that they will continue to be obstructive in the coming months. And obviously obstructive during Lula's government, very much like Trump people, you know, and Trump supporters in the U.S. Um, but I think the big the big thing, Eric, you know, the, the major fears about the, the fraud claims, the major fears about a, a January 6th moment I don't think that we're going to see that at this point. I think like Bolsonaro didn't speak the first 48 hours trying to figure out what he was going to do. Uh, and I think he's, he wanted to save faith. And that's why he didn't say very much. He didn't want to tell his supporters like, oh, I, you know, sorry, we lost. Like he's like Trump like that. He's not going to admit failure and defeat. Um, <clears throat> and although folks might get in the streets and they might continue to protest and, and whatever else, like the elites are very much... Now they've kind of transitioned toward Lula. We just saw one of the main, the most important televangelist pastors saying that God, it's clear that since Lula won the election, God has forgiven Lula and that we have to get on board. And that was huge because he was all on board with Bolsonaro. This type of politicking or the centrist people or the elites kind of getting on board with whoever's the presidency is something very common in Brazil. And it's something that we're seeing now. At the same time, there's almost... A hundred countries have already recognized the results and are on board with the Lula government. So I think we're now at a point that the, the momentum is obviously at Lula's back. He, he clearly won the elections. They were clearly not fraudulent, despite everything that Steve Bannon tries to say. And, um, and I think uh, that's the direction we're headed. And, and people are, uh, you know, obviously the uh, majority of the population and obviously Lula supporters are so excited for the possibility of change. Well, you already teased Steve Bannon, so we'll talk about that in a minute. But before we do, just tell us a little bit about what the rest of the political landscape looks like for Lula. Um, what is the legislature that he's going to have to deal with? How strong is the right wing as it relates to regional governments, as it relates to its, uh, I guess you could say, balance of power relative to the Workers' Party? Where does that all stand? Well, Bolsonaro did very, very well these elections. If you remember back two years ago during the municipal elections, he was a man who local candidates didn't even want their, his name on their ticket. Like they didn't want anything to do with him. And that was around like in the middle of like COVID, you know, was like kicking off and like he was just tainted everything. But he really swooped in and he elect, was able to elect 99 members of his Liberal Party into Congress. Uh, more other right-wing parties also did very well. 
Um, many of his governors also did very well. So he, he did very well in this election. What was interesting is that it seemed like a campaign tactic where he took many of his ex-ministers um, in power, including, for instance, um, his former minister of human rights and family, Damaris Alves, who was this evangelical pastor, his former minister of the environment, uh, Salas, uh, former minister of justice, Sergio Moro, right, who was the, the man who actually jailed Lula, and they all won Senate seats. Uh, and so I believe it's 16 members who are like top closely aligned members of, of Bolsonaro's government are now members of the Senate. So that was very much a, 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 a focus because Bolsonaro was clear that it didn't look like he was going to be able to, to win re-election. So Congress is obviously conservative. Bolsonaro obviously did very well, but the left did not do badly. And there's one thing that's really important to say here, Eric, and this is something that's not understood in the mainstream press. And most people aren't giving this kind of nuanced analysis because the, the Workers' Party, in you know, back since the beginning of the car wash and the Lava Jato uh, operation, like the Workers' Party's name has just been dragged through the mud by the left and the right. Um, and there's no reason for that. In fact, Bolsonaro's own party, the one he's in right now, was one of the parties that was that most was responsible for corruption in the car wash scandal, even though you don't hear about that at all. Because, you know, when you talk about the car wash operation, it's always the PT that gets their name dragged through the mud. But actually what's fascinating is the Workers' Party was able to get as many seats in Congress as it had in 2014 before the car wash operation. So in many ways, the Workers' Party is back to where it was before this whole operation tried to just completely destroy the party. That's huge. If you think about like the last, like eight, what the last eight years have been and the attacks against the Workers' Party and against Lula, the fact that they were able to win uh, as many seats in Congress as they had before and become one of the major voting blocks, I believe they have more than 60 members in Congress right now, is huge. Um, also smaller left parties like the peso and everything that's also picked up more seats and did fairly well. So it's, it's one of the major voting blocks that's in Congress. And that's really important to keep in mind. Um, obviously will Lula have a difficult job in Congress? Yeah, but he always has also keep in mind that when he came into power in 2003, it was on, you know, uh, with a coalition of center, uh, and center left parties also battling a conservative government and, you know, the, to be honest, he, he ruled a lot by decree. He was able to pass a lot of his more progressive measures by decree. And other things in Congress was able to get done through politicking and stuff. There's a lot of things he won't be able to get done through Congress. Um, but he, uh, but he, but, you know, if you think about what he was able to do in his first two terms of the poverty alleviation programs, um, and of course, all of like the, the international foreign policy adjustments and the measures and everything else, it was huge. Um, and so we consider something, you know, we can see something very, very similar in that same sense. Um, of course, Bolsonaro is leaving this moment strengthened, right? Because he also did very well in this election, very close. Uh, and his supporters will be will be adamant and they'll be like Trump supporters. You know, they'll be, uh, they'll be adamant against Lula. And at the same time, you know, we also have the dynamic of the fake news on the disinformation, which... Look, it, it was huge, huge in this election. We, like, I was speaking with many different journalists and media professors, and they all said, look, we have never seen anything like this in Brazil. It's very possible we've never seen anything like this on the planet. Um, much worse than the Trump administration, the level of attacks, constant attacks. And just to give you a sense, um, Eric, about what that level of disinformation and fake news 
looked like just a couple days ago, there were these fake reports that um, Supreme Court Justice Alexandre Moraes, who was the head of the Electoral Council, he was the one who uh, confirmed the election. He was the one who pushed back on a lot of the fake news stuff. Uh, and he's been pushing back. He's opened up investigations into a lot of folks, uh, Bolsonaro people, for their own fake news and for pushing all different sorts of things. They received these ports, these fake news that uh, that someone had ordered his um, his his prison, like has ordered him to go to jail, right? And ordered him to step down from from Supreme Court. And people turned out in the streets in Porto Alegre. There are these videos that show people crying on the streets and cheering. And this is all completely fake. And, you know, there was no like, oh, maybe that's not true. Maybe it's not. That's the level of, of, of fake news that we see. I joke to somebody else, but it's so true. It's like Orson Welles, you know, War of the Worlds, where it's like, it's just like, I'm buying it hook, line, and sinker. And that's what, you know, helped to, to push Bolsonaro up so, so much in this election to keep the race so close, right? And, and the fact that he almost won. Uh, and this will remain... Uh, a, a, a key element, a key element going forward uh, against Lula, and that's concerning. Uh, it, that, and among itself, is a is, is a huge branch of power that obviously the, the Bolsonaro and the far right sectors have. But that's kind of the the lay of land. What about and just to finish up on the uh, political landscape? What about the um, I don't know what do we call them? The former center right that used to exist in the pre-Bolsonaro, you know, in those, in those halcyon days when things were more normal and fascism <laughs> didn't reign all over the world, you know, like, um, what about, you know, the traditional kind of right wing? Has it all just folded under Bolsonaro? Has he consolidated the entire right side of the political spectrum? Is there still an active sort of neoliberal wing within the right, a, 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 I, I don't know, Brazilian equivalent of the anti-Trump Republican types. I don't know. Yeah. So this is this is this is a really fascinating facet of all this because if you remember the impeachment of Dilma Rousseff, the the parliamentary coup against her, Lula's a former chief of staff who won and ran the country from 2010 to 2016. She was impeached in a parliamentary coup um, in 2016, and that rolled in the PMDB. And the PSDB. Now, the PSDB were the staunch enemies of the Workers' Party for you know decades, uh, and the PMDB was the centrist party that only that always just kind of rolled with whoever was in power. And that'll be very similar with the centrist parties in power right now. Um, well, they came to power, and then with all of that, they just ran the country into the ground. They uh, they handed you know they opened up pre-sal over to foreign interest. Freestyle was these offshore foreign oil reserves into foreign re interest. They started privatizing everything. They basically you know, gave the, the US the green light to, 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 to tell them what they needed to do. Uh, and they ran the country into the ground, also through corruption and everything else. And then from that, two years later, Bolsonaro rose and came to power because Lula was then jailed, right? And what Bolsonaro's rise to power did was it just tanked those more centrist right-wing, center-right parties. Like, they just were disintegrated. Um, now, they came, they've come back a little bit, but what's been fascinating is the re-adjustment of forces in that the PMDB and the PSDB, which used to be, like I said, Gerald Alkman used to be the enemy of Lula, they've kind of come into coalition with 
the Lula government. They've, they've kind of become an, an amalgam of like the center. And then you have members of the PS, PSDB who joined more of these far right parties uh, and became more under Bolsonaro's camp. And of course, there's, there's, this is more nuanced because there's tons of different parties and Bolsonaro switched parties in the middle of his, of his government. And some of those, some of his former parties are still in power and some of his, for, it's like his former party won some seats and his new party won more seats. So it's, it's complicated. But if you just look at it, like those center, center right parties that, that kind of really took a hit from the ridiculousness of their coup and from the rise of Bolsonaro have in many ways kind of disintegrated into, they're, they're still there, but they disintegrated into either part of the Lula coalition or part of the Bolsonaro coalition. Uh, and they themselves, in fact, for instance, um, this is, this is, this was a, a fascinating thing is, is Simone Tibet, who be, was not expected to do very well. She was a third party candidate, I believe with the PS, PS, PSDB party. Um, she won 3% of the vote, which was the highest, or just over 3%, was the highest number of votes after Bolsonaro. So the third, the third, the person who did the third best. Um, and she very clearly jumped on board with Lula and she has been adamant, 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 super vocal supporter of Lula and adamant against Bolsonaro. In fact, one of the things that she was really railing against throughout this whole campaign was Bolsonaro's secret budget. She said that in an interview that this is very possibly the largest corruption scandal on planet earth right now. Uh, and very few people have been talking about it, but she became a really important member of, of Lula's campaign. Uh, so it's this readjustment of the political sphere in Brazil in a different way than you might have, or that you had in like, you know, uh, in the United States with like the Republicans, the Democrats, and then, and then Trump comes in and then it shifts things because you still have these different parties and it's still a multi-party system, but the direction these parties have taken or the campaigns that they've picked up or their, like their, their decisions or their slogans, the way they've been talking about it have shifted very, very, very drastically. Uh, and if they have somebody like Geraldo Alckmin to join forces with Lula, who, who previously were on completely different you know, sides of the spectrum and are now are much more aligned in, in, in the idea of, of, of democracy, right? Much more aligned in the idea of, um, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we go forward, uh, but, but roll back kind of the fascist tendencies and the, the fascist undoing of our country that Bolsonaro has, has, has rolled out over the last four years, right? There's an obvious question embedded in the, 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 I mean, the very existence of uh, Lula's sort of political resurrection here, and that is that the timing of all of this could potentially be uh, his downfall, right? I mean, he is going to inherit a global economic downturn, one in which inflation is ravaging pretty much every developed economy, including Brazil, one in which he is undoubtedly going to be saddled unfairly, I would uh, I would add, saddled with sort of the burden of having to explain why everyone feels like they're getting poorer, why everything is getting worse economically and so forth, right? And so like, this isn't the early 2000s. This isn't sort of the uh, commodity boom period where economically speaking, you could get away with a lot of those programs and other things without as much political. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. So how does Lula deal with just the 
political and economic circumstances that he's inheriting, both in Brazil and even globally. I mean, Lula's not responsible for the war in Ukraine, but obviously effects of the war in Ukraine and other things are going to impact his ability to govern. So can you speak to that? Yeah. Well, I mean, first off, you know, 2002, it's fascinating going back and reading some of the stuff uh, written in 2002 in the lead up to Lula's government, because they were saying this, many of these, I mean, obviously we didn't have the war in Ukraine. The inflation wasn't, you know, rising like we hadn't seen in, you know, in decades in, in Brazil. Um, but if you go back, it reads almost exactly like it's like a parallel for now. They're like, oh, the economy's not great. How is Lula going to do this? He's going to have to join, you know, like, so, so look, you know, it, it wasn't that great a situation back in the early 2000s either. Um, and of course, these are challenges he's going to face. But the thing is, is this is Lula. And I say that people in Brazil might understand what that means. This is the great negotiator. This is the guy who is, uh, who wants to lift all boats as best as possible, who lifted millions of people out of poverty with his poverty alleviation programs while he was also helping, you know, big business to grow and financial capital do, to do well too. Now you mentioned the commodities and obviously that's real, but Brazilian state businesses and corporations uh, are also huge and grew. And that's one of the things that Bolsonaro has been trying to undo and to privatize. And that's a strengthening of those, those areas. I think that Lula is going to, going to try and depend much more on than before. Lula is also facing, don't forget, there was, um, the, the year after Dilma was ousted, Congress passed a 20 year spending freeze, um, this was under the Temer, the Temer governments that were that were totally pushing neoliberal policies uh, and shock doctrine, and that'll also be an impediment to his ability to do some things. But you know, this is this is what he's really good at, and I think it's interesting to look at the markets now. <clears throat> Lula, and this is fascinating because everyone, the big face fake news story that was told time and again. I mean, hammered, hammered. I can't tell you, Eric, how many people I spoke with this electoral season, who said, well, if Lula comes in, he's going to steal my private property and he's going to implement socialism and the economy is going to tank, yada, yada, yada. You know, it's the same thing. Oh, oh the, 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 you know, the, the real is going to, going to tank against the dollar. And the minute he won, the real actually spiked against the dollar like we haven't seen in a very long time. So this is because there is a very clear interest in the markets understand that what Lula means is stability. What Lula, what he brings to Brazil is the ability to, 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 to offer some sort of semblance of like, of, a, of, a, of, 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 of a democratic structural country. And he gives confidence to international investors in a way that Bolsonaro does not. Uh, remember, this is the guy that like, he built bricks, you know, he was the one who did the, uh, the, the Iran nuclear deal. This is like the international, the guy the Obama called Okada, the man, you know? Um, so he's going to face uh, complications, but there's a reason why Brazil's business sector was also willing to be completely on board with the Lula government. In fact, actually wrote a letter to democracy, which they published back in July or August, in which they say that we want democratic rule. We don't want fraudulent uh, or, or coup scenarios. We want... Um, we want democracy and that they're more than willing to, 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 you know, to get behind Bolsonaro, maybe not the small businessmen. We saw one of the most concerning things about this election 
small business and yes, but we saw, but there's obviously a lot of businessmen that, that like Bolsonaro, particularly those involved in the agro business. Uh, they like the fact that Bolsonaro is more than willing to open up the Amazon and they can get their hands in, in areas that they haven't before. Um, and, and just, you know, completely get rid of environmental, uh, you know, environmental fines and whatever else. But, and, and one of the major things that we saw in this election, which was really concerning, and people didn't talk about this a lot, but I wrote a, a piece for truth out on this, that we had more than a thousand denunciations against business owners trying to coerce their employees to vote for, uh, to vote for Bolsonaro, which is five times higher than what we had four years ago in the last elections. So obviously there's many people that are staunchly on board with Bolsonaro, but, but, you know, regardless, look, people want a solid economy and they want things, things to roll. And even in the United States, you know, Biden, uh, recognize Lula's election within, you know, an hour. Uh, it was very, very fast, and he's already spoken with Lula, and that means a lot for Brazil. Uh, the whole Senate, you know, saying that um, they wanted democratic situation, they would not be down with the coup scenarios, and if there was a coup, then they were going to cut military funding to, to Brazil. That meant a lot, not just to Bolsonaro, but to the Brazilian military. Um, so. Yeah, those are those are questions. Those are concerns. We're going to see how this all rolls out. It's not a good economy, but if anyone, if anyone has the ability to to be able to to play all sorts of both sides and be able to to really bring people into his government and to really um, you know do the best that one can possibly do in this scenario, it it is the president elect Lula. Let's take a quick break. On the other side of the break, I want to talk a little bit more about some of these issues and touch on, uh, you already mentioned the Amazon. I did want to talk a little bit more about that, about some of these uh, ranching interests, some of the class uh, forces at play here and what it means in the future. Obviously, we have to talk about the Trump network, Bannon, the rest of them, the role that they play because it's such an outsized role in Brazil. So those issues, other things we'll discuss with Mike Fox. You are listening to Counterpunch Radio. We will be right back. Fight them back. Fascists on their top. We will 
Chatting with Mike Fox again, the uh, Twitter at mfox underscore us. Most importantly, the podcast Brazil on Fire. Go get it wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Mike is one of the best. I've been talking to him for years now, and um, I mean, w- what can you say? Brazil's one of the most important countries to understand because it is not only such a large country, so significant in Latin America, but also because of the connections internationally. As I mentioned before the break, Trump, the Trump network, Trump's people figure so centrally in in what's going on in Brazil. So let's talk about that for a moment. Um, When Bolsonaro first came to power, actually, you and I I probably should just dig up the old episodes. You were on the (laughs) show talking about it at the time, how Bolsonaro was propelled into office the first time through this WhatsApp disinformation networks, through all of these different, uh, at the time, sort of new platforms for disinformation. Now, since then, it's kind of the playbook is somewhat well understood. So what about this election? Did they do something new? What did Bannon how did Bannon figure into this and how did the disinformation play? Was it as successful as it was the last time where more or less Bolsonaro won because of it? So this was, and I mentioned this before, this was the election in Brazil and and very possibly in the Western hemisphere. No one, no one had ever seen anything like this before in terms of fake news and disinformation. It was massive. It was huge. The attacks were constant. And, um, Uh, and and they absolutely played a devastating and very powerful role. I mean, like I said, particularly amongst Bolsonaro supporters, uh, and and also you know, and 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 were able to bring other people into their side. So it it came on several fronts. A trying to tie Lula to the corrupt or corruption or to criminals, like just nailing this time and time again. There was massive fake news, you know, in which even right-wing media outlets just constantly called Lula, you know, the, instead of calling him Lula, they would call him, you know, the criminal or Bolsonaro would just consistently pull out like, oh, the, the former convict, you know, that was just like a constant thing you heard. And that really swayed a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people uh, that I met would say, oh, you know, Lula, look, you know, yeah, they say he was, you know, they they say his charges were tossed out, but you know, uh, he'll he'll they were just like put on pause, and actually he'll you know like they they didn't understand the intricacies of what went down, and that's because of this fake news stuff. Now there were several modalities that were extremely different between this year what we saw four years ago. The first thing is there was pushback from the Lula from the Lula camp, like we hadn't seen before. So right around the first, um, the first. What do you call it? Right around the first, uh, the first round of the election, uh, you had several things that rolled out. One of them showed Bolsonaro uh, asking for or campaigning in a Masonic lodge, and of course for the religious, for the evangelicals, that's an issue. 
Um, cause that scene is part of like the new world order and what is he doing in a Masonic lodge? And then you heard him talking about, there was another video that was pushed out that, that showed him saying that he would eat human flesh, uh, which is just random, but that was out pushed out there. And then there was this whole question of, um, him flirting with 14 year old girls or talking about how he had, uh, he had a spark with these 14 year old Venezuelan girls who were hookers, which they weren't, but like, so that just sparked this whole thing of him being a pedophile or was he a pedophile? And, you know, that just, you know, kind of hitting his, his, his moral, his values, his, you know, family values, his church going kind of, um, thing hard and put him on the defensive more than anything else. And this was profound because the Lula camp hadn't really done well with, with pushing out on the attack before, ever before, not definitely not in 2018. And the other thing that was fascinating is this was not fake news that they were pushing out. What they did was they dug up videos of Bolsonaro himself saying things or doing things, which then they shared those videos online widely. Uh, and those, those, the, the you know, they, they sparked conversations around the country uh, and then made Lula have to actually respond to those. Cause some of those, like the whole pedophile thing went on for days and days and days. So that was, that was really uh, important because it put him on the defensive like he hadn't been on before. Um, and, and it was done in a way that was not just, you know, the left fighting with fake news in the same way that the right was fighting. Right. So that was profound. The other thing that was a game changer was the Supreme Electoral Court. Back in 2018, they themselves said, look, we didn't know how to respond to the fake news. Um, we didn't know what to do. And this is and so we we couldn't do almost anything. Uh, they were their hands were tied pretty much, and they came into this election very clear about what they would have to do. In fact, Alexandre Morais, who became the head of the Supreme Electoral Court, the spokesperson for it, was also the man in charge with the fake news investigations uh, and with the kind of the fake news Bolsonaro's fake news machine from the Supreme Court. So the, the Supreme Court, the Supreme Electoral Court, they kind of go back and forth, members of between the two. And so you had Alexandre Morais, who already had this whole history of, of battling fake news and the fake news machine, who then was the head of the Supreme Electoral Court overseeing these elections. Of course, that's why uh, Bolsonaro's people don't like him at all. <laughs> and so, um, but he was able to really push back very fast. At one point, he said, okay, fake, what we find as fake news needs to be um, pulled offline within 24 hours, and then a week and a half before the election, he put, pushed that down to two hours, saying that um, you know uh, social media outlets had to had, had to tackle these things very very quickly. He outlawed and forbade right wing outlets, uh, Bolsonaro line outlets, from saying the words, from calling Lula a thief and whatever else. And in fact, they came out saying, "Oh, this is censorship. You know, you can't do that." Um, so that type of very fast response to fake news was really, really key. Uh, and at one point he actually even gave, so in Brazil, the Brazilian elections, candidates get a certain percentage of time during an afternoon or during a day to put their ads up, right? Um, and it's usually, it's either equal or adjusted to the amount of votes that you got previously, right? Um, and at one point Lula was, was given all of these rights to respond, so all of these 30-second spots to go in after the Bolsonaro spots because of the fact that the Bolsonaro spots were seen as fake news. So all of this was extremely important. We did not see this before. Nevertheless, Bolsonaro's attack job was still profound, uh, and you can, I mean, you, you could see it talking with 
any Lula, I mean, any Bolsonaro supporter in the streets, like I've been doing for weeks, um, and the amount of things that they believe, they believe devoutly, um, and you know that's why they've been in the streets these last couple of days, actually believing that the military is going to stand up and you know and take Lula out of power, which is just uh, or, or 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 block his his ascendancy to power. Um, but it is something that is extremely important. It's important also because it was done over the messaging applications. Remember, in Brazil, a lot of what, what happened, this was back in 2018, was that the fake news was pushed over WhatsApp. Um, and in this year, it was pushed over WhatsApp and also Telegram. And this is important because there's no real way to moderate that content. The messaging applications uh, and those companies did their best and they implemented some means of moderating, like decreasing the amount of people that can be involved in groups and stuff like that. And particularly WhatsApp did some of that. But still, once that fake news is out there, it's really hard to moderate it because it's because the groups are secret. The whole idea is that it's end-to-end -end encryption. Um, and so that still was is just huge because Bolsonaro, um, he holds on to such a profound uh, power amongst uh, and has so many groups and so many supporters that are involved and his people are there in so many ways. So a lot of the fake news has pushed out these groups where there's just no way to, to manage the content there. And again, there's so many elements of what you're saying that are just obviously, you know, send a shiver down all of our American spines when you talk about, you know, charges of pedophilia and, you know, the ringings of QAnon you know, freaks, you know, in our ears and so forth. And so again, I, I, I guess I'm returning to the same question in a sense, walk us through, especially for our, you know, largely American audience here, um, walk us through how many of these commonalities exist between what we see on the Trumpian sort of right here in the United States and what the Bolsonaro right is I mean it's it's more than just an evangelical movement, although that's a big part of it. What else is the Bolsonaro movement, and just how similar is it to the Trump movement? And then I guess the other part of this question is, I mean, Trump's people are literally Bolsonaro's people. So I mean, we're not talking about like some kind of you know affinity here. These people work together. Bolsonaro is a creation of Bannon, right? Yeah. No. Absolutely. He, um, the, the, the connections run really deep. The, the parallels between the two, absolutely profound. Uh, Trump's election opened the door for Bolsonaro's election. Bolsonaro would not have been elected without Trump coming into power. Um, Bannon met and befriended Eduardo Bolsonaro early on before the 2018 election. Uh, we know that he said that he would help to work on their campaign, although we don't know to what extent. Eduardo is, is Bannon's, he's the head of Bannon's, you know, movement in the region, right? That, that, that right wing movement that he has, the Latin American head, at least. Um, and they've had deep ties. And remember going back to just last year, Bannon was, 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 was talking about how Brazil was the most important election that people should be watching. Um, and, and telling people they had to be watching this and that it would be, you know, stolen because the machines, people had to get their eye on it. And what we saw just the day after the first round vote, Bannon was talking about fraud, even though no one else was talking about it, Bannon was talking about it. Um, and then again, after this vote that Bannon's been spewing the same thing. Um, and, and of course the connections between, between Trump and Bolsonaro are, are, are deep. I mean, he, you know, Bolsonaro just completely idolizes Trump. He always has. Uh, he traveled to the U.S. four times over two years to meet with Trump. And in fact, 
during one of those visits, he visited, he became the first Brazilian president to ever visit the CIA. Uh, I believe he actually visited the CIA with former Judge Sergio Moro, who was then his justice minister, which is just terrifying. Um, he, he visited the CIA, in fact, before he even visited the Brazilian Secret Service. And, um, and if you look at like the campaign strategies, Trump's taking a long time to admit defeat uh, was very similar to, to what we saw with, with, with Bolsonaro. If you looked like to, to the rollout of the, the, the attempts to use kind of a fraud campaign or to, to whip his people up, you know, into a, fer a, a fervor, which is, you know, look, this is the fascist playbook. Right, that's what this is all about. It's a build, building a movement with one char charismatic leader using hate, fake news, and lies uh, focused against specific group of people to, to 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 lift that person into power and to build this mass movement from the far right. And that's what they've been able to implement. Obviously, in the United States, where you still have Trump supporters that believe that Trump is still the president and, and Biden still the election, and that's what you have in Brazil. And you will have, and these people will believe that the election was stolen. Absolutely. And look, you know, Bolsonaro has been talking about fraud for four years. And that's how come this isn't just something out of the blue. Um, and it's very clear that they've been in contact with Bannon. They've, you know, they've, they've met at the, at the Brazilian embassy when, when Bolsonaro and others were, were in town. Eduardo Bolsonaro was in Washington on January 6th, right? So these, um, we don't know what he was doing, but we can imagine. Um, and, uh, and, and, and close allies, you know, far right supposed journalists and close allies of Bolsonaro have been, have been in, have been in Brazil too. So, um, so no, so these, these connections run, run, they run terribly, terribly deep. Uh, and it is really important to understand what Brazil means for the United States uh, and for the far right in that sense. Because obviously with, with the focus and the goal of, of building kind of a far right movement, uh, Bolsonaro, you know, Brazil is key. Look, don't forget that, that Brazil is, is half the size of South America, incorporating half the GDP and half the population, half the territory. So that means it's the exact same of all the other countries combined. It's massive. Uh, and it has... Uh, a historic root uh, with groups of people, white supremacists, racists, uh, Nazists, neo-Nazis, which are which are completely aligned with the ideas and the ideals of of Trump and Bannon in the United States. Uh, you know, when the Confederacy lost the Civil War, you had thousands of uh, former con or then Confederate slave owners who traveled and moved to Brazil and set up their, their new homes in Brazil because slavery was still allowed here for the next, what was it, 23, 24 years. And they wanted to, to have their slaveholding paradise in Brazil if they couldn't have it in the United States. Uh, so, so these connections run really deep and the connections and the ties between, like you said, the, the far right, but also the evangelicals run really deep. And that's another really close tie. So the, the so the makeup of the forces, you know, of the evangelical root of uh, of the people that that back is very 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 similar. The one kind of difference is that you have in Brazil this nostalgia for the dictatorship as well, and this deep connection with the military, um, in a way that uh, is like we don't have with with that whole like dictatorship you know, ideology and, you know, the, the good old days of dictatorship, but it kind of ties into the same thing that Trump, you know, his, um, you know, his remembrance of whatever the 1950s must have looked like for 
white working class America. You know, it's, it's that same motif of this nostalgic good old days. Uh, but in Brazil, that's for the dictatorship or for the military rule for many people on the right, right? So, um, so no, the makeup is very, very, is very, very similar. Um, and that's, of course, why they were pushing so hard. And, uh, and, I, and I think what's been fascinating is just this last few days of kind of the rollout of Bolsonaro's strategy of, of, of trying not, not, you know, of silence after the election, people in the streets, uh, and, of, and of continue to push fake news, although, they, you know, they just didn't have the means to, to, do the, to do the whole fraud narrative. Because in Brazil, it's much more complicated because we have world-renowned electoral uh, voting systems. We've had electoral voting machines since the late 90s, never had issues of fraud. And the election happens so fast. And it's declared by an over, overall electoral court that oversees the entire thing on, on a federal level. So you don't have this like states, you know, dividing in groups and things like that. And and literally the, the results of the election were announced within three and a half hours, three hours of the of of the, the close of the polls. So very, very fast. And so that helps Brazil. And then you had international countries that then uh, recognize the Lula's victory within an hour or two. You know, you had the United States, France, Germany, Argentina, the EU, who very, very quickly said, okay, this is legitimate. And they wanted to do that fast so that there was no way to open the door for any sort of fraud claims. So there's so much more to say, but I just want to finish up on Trump before we switch gears in the last couple of minutes that we have. Um, Bolsonaro lost. The calendar tells me it's the end of 2022. Uh, 18 months from now is a presidential election in this country, more or less. And there's a not insignificant chance that Trump is reelected here. So the question is obviously Bolsonaro is absolutely convinced that he's coming back, isn't he? I can't speak for Bolsonaro. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to. But um, I think that if he thought that this week was do or die, as in I either win or I never return again, uh, he would not probably have given the the authorization for his chief of staff to begin transition to uh, to the Lula government. There's no there's no doubt that he's you know looking at this in the long game, just like the right is playing the long game internationally everywhere, you know. Um, and I'm sure that that's what that's sure that that's the word he's getting from Ban and others. Hey, just lay low. It's fine. You know, it's all good. Um, so you know, of course, that's playing out, and of course, he's gonna he's want to keep his for, his supporters whipped up, you know, in a fervor throughout the Lula government. And and my concern is that he's they're going to be doing that with their crazy fake news stuff, just making up lies the entire time about what Lula is trying to implement, even though it's just just not real, you know? Um but 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 I can but I think everybody here can see that scenario of what could happen here in four years. But it's also a moment in Brazil right now where <clears throat> This election was so close and Bolsonaro's election has been so devastating for the country that uh, it's a moment for excitement, nevertheless, of thinking, well, what, what, I don't, people are like, four years, I want to I be thinking about tomorrow and I want to be thinking about what two months looks like because I'll be honest, you know, you said you want to talk with the Amazon and I'll tell you what, 
another four years of Bolsonaro if he had won. Many people I spoke with, uh, and we saw this in much of the reporting, but it very easily could have been like like the nail, the final nail in the coffin, right? Of like of, of the Amazon, like the the amount of um, the escalation of land invasions of deforestation has been rising at increasingly escalating levels. Another year or two of Bolsonaro, and we'd see levels even higher than what we saw like at the, at the time that Lula came into power before he cut those deforestation levels. He's unleashed forces like uh, narco-traffickers in line in cahoots with you know, loggers and land grabbers. Uh, and I'll tell you something. <clears throat> I went and visited the Caripuna territory, which is this small indigenous community in, um, in Hondonia, which is a state that Bolsonaro completely took in large part because it's been devastated and deforested in recent years uh, because of, you know, it began under the military dictatorship of trying to transform it into the pasture land, the great grazing pasture land of, of Brazil. And we visited this territory of 61 members left, and they're just completely surrounded um, by land grabbers. And four years ago, people came in and what you had was a lot of loggers who would come in, uh, trying to log the hardwood. Now, nobody cares about the wood. Now, as you go in, you wipe the, the, the land clear, you, you, you set fire to it. In fact, while I was there, the, 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 the logs were still, um, smoking. The embers of the logs were still on fire. And then you clear it and you just cut it up into different, um, uh, you know, pieces of land, and then you sell it off to, to cattle pasture. In fact, there's even a, a, a signpost on the Caripuna territory that says lote. It's spelled wrong, but it still says lote, and lote actually means parcel. It's like on their territory, and it's right on the side of the road. And so this type of thing is devastating. It's what indigenous communities are, are feeling up and down the Amazon, uh, and it's in part why particularly from an international perspective, this election was absolutely just so important, regardless of what may come later on for Bolsonaro. We'll deal with that later on. But people are like, we've got to get, we got to get him out of there first. And how did the um, social movements figure into this campaign and into the, into the, the movement to bring Lula back here? I'm, you know, there was a time when Lula's imprisonment was something of a unifying issue what that, that, that brought a lot of people together with a, a lot of different disparate groups that came together around that. And so I'm wondering, what is what does Lula now in power mean for the left? What does it mean for the social movements, the uh, homeless movement, the peasants movements, the various other indigenous movements, the various environmental movements and so forth, uh, the, um, you know, the urban groups, the, the far left, what does it mean for the activists? Yeah. I mean, this was huge. And like you said, the unifying force, obviously of his imprisonment, uh, and that has carried on till today. You, <clears throat> the, the social movements, the landless workers movement and urban housing movements were, were extremely important in, in Lula's campaign, uh, at, throughout, uh, the campaign until now. They were in the streets. Uh, I was with many of them in the lead up to the first and second round. Uh, and they were all, the MST was all, all like all of the folks who were in Sao Paulo were all together on the night of the election. And it was just, you know, super excitement for the possibilities. So 
everybody is very much on board. I was at a press conference with uh, Joao Pedro Stegil, who was one of the founders of the MST and just before the first round vote. Uh, and he said that we need a popular mass movement from below to help to push the Lula government while in power to help to continue to push pressure from the left perspective. And that's important. It's something that they're very, very aware of and very clear of what, what is needed. Um, they also help to these different kind of rural and urban movements, the landless workers movement and others help to found somewhere between five and 7,000 popular grassroots committees in, in poor barrios around the country during this election, kind of the lead up with the idea of building these committees that can then do, you know, carry on to be doing this kind of organizing work not just during the electoral season, you know, continually, whether or not Lula is in power. Uh, and so this type of organizing is really uh, important. You know, what we saw in the Lula governments, the first and second Lula governments, was kind of a, a moment when, because of members of the MST and other popular movements, kind of joined those governments institutionally from within, they lost some of their organizing support from the outside. And I think this is something that the different grassroots movements are very clear, particularly the landless workers movement, because the largest um, grassroots movement in the Americas, social movement in the Americas. So it's something that that th these movements are very aware of, uh, aware of going forward about the need to to continue to organize, but also very excited about the potential. I mean, keep in mind that Bolsonaro, you know, the MST was like uh, this is an enemy for 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 Bolsonaro, uh, and there was no way they were going to win any land reform under his government, nor neither would Quilombola communities and indigenous communities. Uh, and Lula coming back to power means that they could see a return to, you know, actual land reform policies and that, you know, small farmers could again be be acquiring their land and things like that uh, in ways from, from the government. So it's an extremely, extremely, extremely hopeful moment for everyone across the left. I mean, and just to put this in perspective, you had Marina Silva, who was Bolsonaro's former environment minister, who had then split. You remember, she ran against against the Workers' Party back in 2010, 2014. Um, so they were kind of, she was at loggerheads with the, with the Workers' Party, and she came back into the coalition and uh, and 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 has actually given Lula a, a, a dossier, a report about how to get to deforestation zero. So it is it is it is it is very much a unified movement on the left for Lula's presidency. Of course, of course, you know, once the presidency starts to roll out, there's always complications. There's always realities of the different, you know, points of views and, and needs. And, you know, th that will happen. That's undoubted. Um, but right now, uh, the fact that so many people are back in line and look, and like I mentioned before, in line with someone like Lula, who is the great statesman. He's the guy, if there's anybody who can like make these agreements amongst all these different groups and is willing to stand beside the social movements at the same time as, you know, in defense of the environment and stand up for workers' rights more like, you know, like more than anything before. Um, and at the same time, stand beside businessmen and try and bring all these people together in a way that, that, that you know, we only really saw in the 2000s. Lula. Lula's the only guy that could do that. And, and, and still have, you know, a major percentage of the population believe that, they, that he, can, he can make it happen. And the biggest thing, I'll just say, that he 
has said, which is his top campaign promise that he's already said that he wants to do, is, is going to be the most important thing for his government, is, of course, rolling back out the, the social programs, lifting millions of people out of par- poverty, tackling hunger. Remember that, that Brazil, under his government, uh, was named zero hunger. It's like they eliminated hunger, and now 33 million Brazilians don't have enough to eat each day. Uh, and so, again, that's going to be his major campaign promise. And people up in northeastern Brazil, which is the poorest section of Brazil, they voted en masse for him, and uh, and they're going to back him with all their might. Mike Fox has been with us today. As always, Mike is, um, well, he's the man. He's got all the goods on Brazil. I always turn to Mike for everything uh, going on down there. Brazil on Fire is the podcast. Go over to wherever it is you get your podcasts and subscribe to that. It is so good. Um, All of Mike's work is excellent. Follow him on Twitter at mfox underscore US. Mike, thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for coming to CounterPunch and talking with us and helping us understand what's going on down there. Dude, thanks so much for having me. Totally a pleasure. Always a pleasure chatting with you. Always a pleasure. Listeners, thank you as always for all of the support. Go over to CounterPunch, get your subscriptions. We will talk to you next time.